you're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are on Monte Lussari. We want Rogla. <laughs> what will Rogla happen? will win here. I was going to say, what happens if he doesn't? If he doesn't, uh, it will be a sad anyway. day, but we will uh, drink. Who do you prefer, Rogla or Pogacar? Uh, I prefer Rogla. I, prefer Rogla. Yeah, I hear that a lot from Slovenians. Why? I think because uh, Rogla was the, the in, Slo- in Slovenian. Yes, he was the first in Slovenia, and this, his story, you know, he started from the young jumping and, and he started cycling. I don't know, 23, 24 years old. Okay, make some noise. Throw, throw it away. Just look at the people, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely not here for me, but uh, a small part of me uh, hopes that uh, they are also enjoying uh, yeah, me riding to the finish and, uh, just as much as I am uh, enjoying them and I'm just happy they're having that much of a party and I, I hope they're going to make a really, really big party for Primoz, uh, especially after he finishes. I didn't get all of your interview in Dutch, but I did hear I'm not nervous. That's what you said to our Dutch colleagues. Why not? No, I, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm definitely nervous. I can't... Uh, uh, yeah, I almost couldn't sleep yesterday. I no, I'm uh, I'm definitely nervous. I think I'm more nervous than Primoz. 16 secondi, 16. Primoz Roglic coming in. He's approaching the last kilometer. We've seen we've seen his chain come off. We've seen his teammates will turn away in disbelief. Adi Engels, the the Jumbo Visma direct sportive standing close to me, he turned away in disbelief. Standing next to the Slovenian national television commentator, he's going to be commentating in real time. Seen the final intermediate split and. Roglic is not out of it. Roglic is 40 seconds ahead of Almeida at the last intermediate split. Here he comes. It's not over. It's not over. Primoz for Roglic. 42 seconds better than Almeida, it's not over, it's not over. Roglic, we've seen 36 seconds def- deficit for Geraint Thomas on Primoz Roglic. He's still got a kilometre or so to go, standing next to the Slovenian national television commentator and he, well, his eyes have just lit up. Cannot believe what we've just seen. With Thomas 400 metres to go, it looks as though he's got it in the bag. He's got redemption off the Blanche de Belfi. Incredible turnaround. What a performance from Roglic today. What an extraordinary ride he's done. (laughs) 
abject heartbreak for Garrett Thomas. The Yumbo Vida celebrations already started. You can hear them, you can hear them. Scrum of Yumbo Visma riders behind the finish line. Sepp Kuss raising a bike above his head. What a contrast, what a contrast with the Ineos Grenadiers riders who are now emerging from behind the podium, looking crestfallen at Laris de Plus, Timon Aronsman as well, now coming out. Chiro, can you believe what we've just seen? No, 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 no. But uh, normally for me, I don't think that my life changed. <laughs> but Chiro, but, that, was, that was one of the most but, spectacular finales we, really, you or I, really have ever and, seen. Uh, and it's obviously, it's, it's really outstanding. I mean, uh, obviously, I don't want to compare uh, with uh, Lemon de Fignon in the Champs Elysees in '89, but we are close. Eh? I we think. are close, we, we are, are close. close. Yeah. The, the, the chorus of Primoz Primoz had broken out, echoing out across the valley. Garrett, how, how tough is this to take? Yeah, I'm pretty gutted, but uh, I said earlier if I'd been told this back in February, March, I probably would have bit your hand off. But now I'm uh, devastated, so. But I think once it sinks in, I could be proud of what we did, and um, yeah, it is what it is. Well, Brian, what a day, what a day. And those clips went some way to explaining, recounting, chronicling this extraordinary day in professional cycling history, extraordinary day in the history of the Giro d'Italia. Well, what did we hear there? We heard Slovenian fans, we heard Michael Hessmann, the German rider for Jumbo Visma before Primoz Roglic had even started his effort. And then, well, I think um, it's pretty clear to everyone what unfolded and you got a sense from those audio clips. I was standing up on Monte Lusari, speaking to various people and just observing the scene really. And it's a scene that I won't forget ever, I don't think, um, in the same way that we were talking earlier about how La Planche des Belfilles and the afternoon I had up there in 2020, certainly one of the most memorable in my career covering this sport. But Brian, First of all, good evening. Buonasera, il barone. Buonasera, Daniel. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It was just one of those stages where, where you know when you see it that it's gonna, it's gonna define not just the race but also a, a big chapter of the Giro d'Italia history. And when you see it unfold after the race has been so condensed and both open but also closed because there, there wasn't that much daylight between the, the, the guys aiming for the podium. Yeah, it was, it's, uh, it was so dramatic that, uh, you know, you, you, the drama in itself basically stole the show. So you didn't really uh, mentally process who, who uh, was the big loser, who was the big winner. I, you know, obviously you always feel... Uh, you know, you have this empathy with the loser, but it was almost that you were so the, the engulfed by drama that that in itself stole the show for once, I would say, in this Giro. It's obvious that Roglic is, is you know, the big winner and, and Geraint Thomas is the big loser, but it was just, it was, it was a relief also to have that tension finally so close that you can feel it and smell it and actually this is what bike racing should be all about. It can't be always, but it should be. 
often. And Brian, it's been an extremely backloaded Giro d'Italia as far as drama is concerned. And it was an extremely backloaded time trial in, in terms of us knowing and realising and appreciating what was going on, partly because of the Italian TV coverage, which, well, Rai Television or the host broadcaster didn't cover itself in glory, I don't think, in terms of um, conveying exactly how close things were until those last few kilometres. Um, Brian, we're going to hear later the full interview with Geraint Thomas. Again, that was a, a, an extraordinary moment because we were sort of corralled into a very small space behind the finish line. And when Jumbo Visma started celebrating, they were sort of corralled as well into a different area. And we couldn't speak to any of their riders for quite a long time. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, we didn't really know where Geraint Thomas had got to. And then suddenly he emerged and came and stood right in front of us and that was well that was a very raw reaction that you heard and you'll hear more of it later on brian we are well we're still in tarvisio aren't we we're recording next to a main road tonight we've had a a technical hiccup as well but we won't let that perturb us too much and we won't let that distract you from your penultimate tale of the tapper of the giro d'italia it's time for the tale of the tapper well, Daniel, stage 20, the individual time trial from Travisio to Montelusari, 18.6 kilometers, around 11 kilometers semi-flat to the foot of the Lusari, then a gruesome 7.3 kilometer climb. For logistic reasons, the start was divided into two blocks of start times, but it was all backloaded also on the stage as such, because until the GC riders and the specialists hit the road, you, you didn't really have a feeling for what the fast times would be. Jay Vines had a fast time, but he was quickly beaten by McNulty, then beaten by Seb Kuss. After him, Pino took the best time, then Damiano Caruso, and then Shaw Almeida. And then the big showdown we'd waited for actually happened. And it was it was very close, even if Italian TV didn't really convey it that well. You could see that it was, it was going to be about the overall win and, and not just the stage win. Roglic was... So I think from what I could see on, on the TV in the Sala Stampa, some 14, 15 seconds ahead, but then with 2.3 kilometers to go, he dropped the chain. Uh, it fell off, uh, and I think in the moment where there was like a, a, you know, this was concrete blocks and there were separations in between them, and yeah, it fell off. He kept his cool, uh, Roglic clocked, and a super fast time of 44, 23, and as it turned out, you, you could also see in his face, Garen Thomas was really struggling on, on the way up in the last uh, on the last corners of of the of the climb, and he finished 40 seconds down on Roglic, which means that he lost the pink jersey with 14 seconds on the day before Rome. Brian, there's some other changes in the general classification, weren't there? Yes, Daniel. Uh, as you would expect, uh, when everything is a, is a showdown uh, until the very last meters of a very steep climb it, it did have some altercations some alterations excuse me in the in the general classification Roglic took the pink jersey and now leads the race with 14 seconds Chalmeda still in third 115 down but the 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 riders who moved up today was Thibaut Pinot he's now in fifth moves up one place Simon Aronsman moves up one place Eddie Dunbar is two places down to seventh Legnason really like massive breakthrough in this Giro he is now eight seven minutes 31 after then Akemna is one place down, and Laurence de Plus, another uh, Ineos rider, is the last guy in the top 10, uh, nine minutes and eight after Primoz Roglic. And this is after, and I really feel like I should mention this, 82 hours and 40 minutes of racing. 
14 seconds the difference between Roglic and Thomas on general classification. In theory, how many bonus seconds are available tomorrow? Well, there are two intermediate sprints and there's a sprint to the line. In theory, still ought to play for. <laughs> yeah, in, the in theory, but it's, it's very much theoretic. Judging from the, the first bit we heard from Garen Thomas, he's, he's conceded this, this Giro win. I would be more than surprised. I'm not sure if I wouldn't chase it on the on the cobbled streets of Rome or, or in, on that circuit uh, tomorrow, but I think it's it's academic. It it looks close, 14 seconds is close, but it's also miles away when you think of what's left. Is it just the stage to Rome? Well, Brian, in order to analyse this and process everything that we did see today, let's have the full interview, shall we, from Garant Thomas. Let's hear everything he had to say. Um, in that moment, just well, seconds really after the drama had unfolded, or minutes after the drama had, had unfolded, and it was lent extra poignancy by the fact that as he did come towards us and start speaking, it was the moment where Primoz Roglic was stepping up on the podium and receiving his pink jersey. His his partner Law was looking on, his son was looking on, and there were a lot of people connected to Primoz Roglic. Well, in floods of tears, um, my friend Mattia Galli, who still hasn't delivered my Rivella. Um, <laughs> I think that was the furthest thing from his mind this afternoon. He couldn't stop himself crying. But let's hear from Geraint Thomas now, an understandably crestfallen Geraint Thomas, and uh, a characteristically magnanimous and graceful Geraint Thomas as well. Geraint, how, how tough is this to take? Yeah, I'm pretty gutted, but uh, I said earlier if I'd been told this back in February, March, I probably would have bit your hand off. But now I'm uh, devastated. So, but I think once it sinks in, I can be proud of what we did. And um, yeah, it is what it is. Tell us about the ride itself. How did you feel today? Felt okay. Uh, with, a, with about a okay and a half to go, I could just feel my legs going a bit. Um, also with bicarb, it's a bit of a different feel. And, I didn't really have the grunt. Not that's not the reason I lost though. Primoz just did an incredible ride, and uh, if anything, it's better to lose by that much than a couple of seconds, because then you could pick it apart and say, well, maybe I could have done this or that. End of the day, I couldn't have gone 14 seconds quicker, and he had a mechanical, so he deserves it, and uh, I have to be happy with seconds. Yeah, yeah, but at the minute it's still bittersweet. Um, but yeah, it's like I say, the season I've had, I was only really started racing in Catalonia in March. And uh, I stayed strong mentally and, you know, put the work in and tried to do what I had to do. And I still managed to get here in good shape. And uh, yeah, to come second, I can still be proud of that. But uh, at the moment, it just hurts. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for their continued support. They also supply the Ineos Grenadiers team, keep them fueled up on the road. And I asked the Ineos Grenadiers rider, Ben Swift, what has cycling given him? Class. Probably my life, really. Uh... It's meant everything to me, really. It's something I've always wanted to do. I've realised the childhood dream and being fortunate to, to do this job for, well, this is my 15th year now as a pro. So, yeah, I want to keep going. Uh, I would say, well, it's obviously a job and sometimes it's felt like a job, but it's more of a passion, really. 
To see the full range of Science in Sport products, go to scienceinsport.com. Well, Brian, we jumped right ahead to the end of the day. We're going to wind the clock back a little bit, as we always do on the podcast. But first, just a footnote to Garrett Thomas's interview before we deal with it in greater detail later in the podcast. He mentioned there bicarbonate of soda, which is a product that we know well is legal and it's on vogue in the pro peloton. Has been for well at least a year or so now, well, and way long, way longer than that. In time trials, it's, it's very often used. And for, for anyone who hasn't had chemistry in school, it's, uh, it's something that riders take uh, when they do a short effort or a time trial for reducing the amount of lactic acid they produce. So uh, bicarbonate is obviously uh, the opposite end of the pH scale. So it's, it's, it's basically to reduce the accumulate, accumulated um, lactic acid in your muscles. So we heard that Garrett Thomas felt that it didn't necessarily do him any favours today, whether it was the difference between him winning or losing, we don't know. But Brian, let's, shall we, go back to earlier in the day and our traditional pausa cappuccino. Let's just calm the jets a little bit before we talk about all the emotion and all the drama on top of Monte Lussari. I was on the way up to Monte Lussari when we had our pausa cappuccino today. As I said, I did have some technical problems, so you're not going to hear from me, but you are going to hear from Lionel, who gave us a nice bit of background to today's showdown, set the scene beautifully, told us about the two riders, Garant Thomas and Primoz Roglic's respective records in the Giro d'Italia. So here's today's pausa cappuccino. It's past 11, time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. It looks spectacular. I'm watching on the TV, Daniel, and as we speak, there are two Thomases in the top three of the standings so far. Not Geraint Thomas just yet, uh, but Tom Glogue is up there and uh, Thomas Champion is up there as well. I think he's uh, leading the way at the moment. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about the two main protagonists for this stage and hence the Giro d'Italia overall. Geraint Thomas and Primoz Roglic, they've had kind of checkered histories with the Giro d'Italia, haven't they? This is Geraint Thomas's fifth Giro. Back in 2008 and 2012, he rode them very much as preparation for the Olympic Games, which he rode for Great Britain as part of the Team Pursuit squads, which won gold medals, the Giro being the perfect slot in the season, the perfect time to get some real road base into the legs ahead of the Olympics, which were in August, a little bit later on in the year. And then, of course, 2017, we were there, weren't we, Daniel? He was lying second overall after a very strong ride on the stage to Etna when there was that crash on the way to Blockhouse. Wilco Kelderman clipped the motorcycle that had pulled over at the side of the road. We've talked about this before, but uh, Geraint Thomas and Mikel Lander both went down. What had kind of slipped my memory was that Thomas carried on, didn't he? And he had a very good time trial performance at Montefalco behind Tom de Moulin, finished second in the time trial. But then a couple of days after that, he didn't carry on with the Giro. He pulled out on the morning of the stage that left Reggio Emilia. And then, of course, 2020, his other Giro, another crash, finished fourth in the time trial at the start of the race. And then a couple of days later, in the neutralised zone in Enna, on the way to Etna again, rode over a bidon that was rolling down the road. It bounced out on the cobbled section in the neutralised zone. He rode on and finished the stage with a fractured pelvis, uh, but obviously was not a non-starter the following day. And then Primoz Roglic takes me back to 2016 when 
He was riding his first Grand Tour for Lotto NL Jumbo, as they were then, and he lost the time trial, do you remember this, Daniel, in Appledorn by hundredths of a second to De Moulin. And then his big breakthrough result, really, was that time trial in Chianti, a, a day memorable for the wine tasting, where I was a designated driver, and, and Richard was very much not the designated driver, and he enjoyed the Chianti wine somewhat quite an amusing memory that was because it was a very twisty drive back over the sort of mini mountains back to our hotel and uh, I was absolutely fine I certainly wasn't car sick anyway uh, that day in Chianti is memorable for a couple of things not least Roglic's win he did get lucky with the weather because the favourites had to ride in the rain a little bit later on but I was reading about this today. He had some terrible trouble with his bike. He swapped his bike right before the start. And then during his ride, his computer fell off his handlebars and he lost a water bottle as well and was unable to get a replacement. So was pretty thirsty over the second half of the ride, apparently. Nevertheless, he won. Notable that day also because I was in the one of those Green Edge team cars with Brian Nygaard, who was driving behind one of their riders in the time trial, and I was making an episode of Kilometer Zero. I don't know whether Brian will remember that day as clearly as I do. But then, of course, 2019, Roglic was... I thought nailed on to win the Giro that year until it all came undone on the stage to Como. Stage 15 it was, had a bit of a shocker, didn't he? Lost 40 seconds to Richard Carapaz when he crashed on the descent down into the town. He had to take his teammate Antoine Tolhook's bike. And, well, that was a famous day where Jumbo Visma had more toilet trouble. We talked about Tom de Moulin a few days ago, didn't we? But this was when the team car stopped because Jan Boven, one of the sports directors, needed the toilet. And so the car wasn't there for Roglic when he needed a replacement bike. He took Tollhook's bike and there was all sorts of shenanigans afterwards, wasn't there? And Movistar's Max Chiandri gave Tollhook a bike, swapped the pedals so that he could ride into the finish and took Roglic's bike on the top of the Movistar team car and it was really quite a shambolic uh, denouement to Roglic's Giro hopes that day slipped back a little bit further in the final week didn't he and Carapaz was in the end quite a convincing winner so it's sort of checkered histories for both Thomas and Roglic at the Giro and I think one or other of them will be cementing a very happy Giro memory sometime later this afternoon but I really can't decide who it's going to be no idea and I'm not going to start speculating at this point So, Brian, as we heard there, Primoz Roglic and Geraint Thomas are two riders, were two riders, who had suffered a fair amount of misfortune in this in this race over the years. And that was always set to lend today extra pathos. And, of course, we had the sort of pathos, the poignancy of both riders' record of misfortune in their careers generally. And, of course, this mm, sort of symbolic or parallel with La Planche de Belfie, which remains, unfortunately, the most famous moment in or most famous moment in the career of Primoz Roglic until today. It was an uphill time trial. I said at the start of today's episode that as far as I'm concerned, it was one of the most memorable scenes that I've witnessed in any race. And you know, there were so many parallels today, Brian. I don't know if they showed it on Italian TV, but we had the Yumba the riders who had finished yeah. their time trial standing side by side in, in almost identical fashion to Wout van Aert and Tom Dumoulin on La Planche de Belfi. And that day you saw the expressions changing over the course of the 40 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever it took to do the Planche de Belfi, or the Belfi time trial. And then today, 
you know, in spite of the frustration of not really knowing what was going on because of the Italian TV not really showing us a lot of Thomas and Roglic early in the time trial particularly, there was a whole, well, there, there were four or five seats that a sort of uh, a makeshift kind of cinema was set up in front of the big screen by the podium and Sam Oman was there, um, Kernbaum and Sepp Kuss and they were all obviously transfixed and well the one of the most memorable moments was when Roglic's chain dropped and Sam Oman got up off his seat. You heard in the audio clip at the start of the episode what my reaction, Chiro's reaction was and, uh, and uh, as I said there I saw Adi Engels turn around in disgust disbelief and it just seemed to be happening all over again didn't it for Primoz Roglic yeah it did and it, almost like he's cursed when when a, a, a Grand Tour is decided on a mountain time trial but the, what I saw of, uh, for as much as Italian TV allowed me to see um, I think he went faster because of it and this may sound like the stupidest claim but you know adrenaline is the best painkiller there is probably apart from morphine but I wouldn't recommend that for anyone doing a time trial so I think that that probably just gave him that that last kick of you know anger they're all it's they have such tunnel vision but i think but it looked like he kept his cool and that's also what we were told by by sports director in your interview but i i think that actually set him up to to potentially go even faster because a he knew that he had to make up time that he'd lost i'm not sure how much time reference he would have had on garen thomas but he would not he would have known that it would have been close either way so I, actually, I think he would have won anyways, in the sense that it's not, you know, it still slowed him down of sorts. But I actually think it, it gave him that last edge that just like he wanted to defy his own, his own destiny in, in these situations. And, and yeah, and he certainly did. Brian, you mentioned my interview there with the Jumbo Visma direct sportif. And Mark Reef was the direct sportif. Shortly after Garrett Thomas had spoken to us, spoken to me, Mark Reef came, well, still very emotional had been celebrating with the Jumbo Visma riders and Primoz Roglic's entourage for the previous 10 or 15 minutes and um, yes he told me yesterday evening in fact I don't think we heard it in yesterday's episode that he was confident he was sort of 60-40 confident that Primoz Roglic would do it today and do it he did so let's hear Mark Reef just as Primoz Roglic was collecting accepting his pink jersey on the podium. Calmly stated at that moment that his chain dropped. He just stepped off his bike. And I mean, I saw it happening and uh, I could not do anything. So I just had to wait until the mechanic uh, could, could step off the bike, could give him another bike. That was the first thing that I also yelled behind. Ah, we need the bike, we need the bike. But it was also difficult to get, for, to get from him to get off the bike. So um, I jumped off the bike, he ran to him. And at that, that moment, yeah, I saw already that Primoz was really calm and he was also during the climb, every switchback, I could look at his face and he was so in control and he had such a focus. Uh, it's crazy that the most crazy thing when the pressure is so high, because he really had to do it here. Here also with all his, uh, the people from Slovenia, that he stayed so calm on a moment like this, that he just stepped up again, he had to focus again and he continued and he's just, he just did it. It's, it was like 15 seconds with a chain problem and then next uh, when we see 35 seconds uh, 
your 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 thoughts when you saw that? I didn't see anything because we didn't have any information. We only had 60 seconds, and then the um, uh, then the, the, the chain thing happens, and then we hear heard that it was three seconds. It was three seconds. And we also were thinking, and there were already yeah, people that were not so happy with us at that at that moment. But in the end, everything came uh, came to a good end, and yeah, we are so, super happy and satisfied that he uh, that he made it. Before the Giro. Was this day the total focus from you, from Primoz, this time trial? Uh, from Primoz it was, because he already was speaking about Regime, about yesterday and about this time trial. He was speaking about it since this winter. Since this winter, those two days, he spoke nothing about uh, nothing else than, uh, than just that. Regime, he did, I don't know how many times already at home on the rollers when he was coming back from his, uh, from his shoulder operation. And also here he came already in the winter time to walk up. And he just uh, he just did it on the last two days. It's a uh, uh, really chapeau, big chapeau. After the, today's recon, what did he say to you? Uh, did, did anything special? No, that uh, that he was really confident that he could do it. That this climb, I mean, with his uh, with his yeah his type of rider, with his qualities, that he really had the confidence that he could do it here compared to uh, to Thomas. You were confident last night, but how much do you think the crowd played a role today? How much did the fans play a role today? I think a big, big, big role. I think uh, Primoz himself is a very proud guy. I mean, you also see it with uh, during the recon. Yeah, he did the first part already of the climb, then he stepped into the car and then he did the last part again. And you saw just yeah what those people all yeah all did and were yelling and screaming and taking their head off and Primoz already got emotional when when seeing that, and it also gave him a big big boost. I mean he's also a proud uh, proud person, proud on Slovenia, proud also on the on the people that uh, that are here and he also want to inspire them, and that's also a big thing that uh, that pushed him a lot today. So Brian, great sporting redemptions. I'm struggling to come up with one as spectacular and as symbolic as well the symmetry of the two time trials the two mountaintop time trials I was thinking of Tiger Woods at the US Masters earlier on winning his most recent um, US Masters I don't know how long after the, the previous one but Greg LeMond you mentioned of course Greg LeMond who had this sort of hiatus in the middle of his career in force because of a well he was shot wasn't he an accident hunting accident yeah I mean he had like I think it was 44 uh, pieces of lead some of them apparently still somewhere in his in his system and I actually think the the time trial today mirrors that type of upset you know you can't no matter how much we love Italy and, and are fond of the Giro the Tour is still the biggest race in the world and the upset between him and and um, Fignon in the 89 Tour was you know it's, it's a milestone in the in the history of sports ability to be dramatic but I think this was the Giro's version of it and had the TV production and I'm going to stop complaining about it but had the TV production been adequate and had they actually had the finger on the pulse of the race you could have you could have seen a similar thing but at least we we, we understood it and we saw it and Primus Roglic's fan and himself and Garen Thomas everyone understood it but I think we could have had it shown a little bit better just for the history books at least the one virtue of the lack of information was that when we got to the second time check and particularly after Primoz Roglic's drop chain it was a huge it was a wow moment wasn't it because we thought that it was close we thought there were maybe a handful of seconds in it and when Primoz Roglic had that mishap 
it seemed logical to assume that maybe Geraint Thomas was was leading him at that point and certainly that all chance Primoz Roglic might have had of winning had gone. However, that wasn't the case. No, and also there's, there's such an... There's an irony to this that's so cycling, right? So we're, it's 2023, technology is, has made huge leaps in, in cycling. And I think it's one of the reasons why we now see average speed so high and every, everything is being optimized in every single way. But a bike's still a bike. And sometimes you puncture, sometimes apparently you, you drop your chain. And when it gets so, when, the, when it's so narrow and it's so close, it ain't that just cycling to then add that extra element with something so banal as you know I don't know when you dropped the chain the last time it's probably a while ago certainly for me as well and then all of a sudden you have this added drama which is like it's tragic but it's also this this is because it ended how it ended there's also a beauty to it because you remind it deep down a bike is still a bike a rider needs to be able to to pedal and, and get to the finish line and I I take comfort in that somehow you know once we you know we all know all the watts and they upload everything and we basically know things in the minute that it happens and so does the rest of the world and then this happens and time stops and one side it stops but it also runs really fast because you could see you know in the time trial seconds matter like tiny little fragments of a segment of a second could matter so i i yeah there's there's a, there's a charm to it that i can re- fully appreciate now you know with the outcome being as it was Brian, you mentioned the adrenaline, and I mentioned to Mark Rafe, purely on the basis of the afternoon I had up there on Monte Lusari, and the quantity, the fact that it was just besieged by Slovenian fans. I said on Twitter earlier, Slovenian or Slovene far, far, well, drowned, emphatically drowned out Italian as the lingua franca up there. Um, that must, must have had an effect. Although, Brian, I was very concerned, particularly on the lower slopes of Monte Lusari, that someone, fence, yeah. yeah, out of sort of their, in their excitement, someone was going to knock Primoz Roglic off or cause a big problem. You know, there's a sanctuario at top of, Mon- uh, it's called Monte Santo Lusari, and there's um there's a sanctuary there that's been destroyed twice. Once in the early 18th century because of uh, lightning that struck, and then in the first uh, in the Great War, in the First World War, it was rebuilt in 2000. But the the place is known as, as there's a pilgrimage to go up there, which uh, you know I'm sure it is if you walk or or take a, a bike ride up there. But it's called the the place of, of three languages. So and it, it borders this area in, its, in itself borders with three languages. Those being German. Uh, Slovenian and Italian. So if 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 there's ever been any kind of like ultimate result about the place of three languages or of three people, Slovenia owns that place now. Brian, just on Primoz Roglic, as much as Garrett Thomas deserved this and has ridden an absolutely extraordinary race, uh, again defying expectation in the same way in many ways that he did in last year's Tour de France. One of the reasons that I well was was thrilled for Primoz Roglic this afternoon is that I feel his impact on the sport in the last few years merits or merited more Grand Tours than those three Vueltas a España. Um, the, the statistic that I constantly trot out is the one about him never having done a stage race without at some point wearing the leader's jersey if you take out Tours de France since 2018 which is just remarkable and you know, that's five years ago now and he has left an extraordinarily deep mark on an epoch and he deserves to be remembered as more than just a sort of glutton for misfortune yeah absolutely and i think you also have to accept the fact that um, the tour cannot be the only measuring stick uh, that we use to 
to basically tell the story of, of a rider's career and, and the respect that it merits. That's, that's one thing. But it's also, both for Garen Thomas and Roglic, anything but a victory in this Giro would be a disappointment. And, and Garen Thomas, in your interview with him, said that very clearly. But there's, there is such a... It, it would have been unfulfilled for whomever didn't win, but there's something about Roglic. And now, you know, he's, he's 33. Uh, the tour belongs to riders who are seven, eight, eight years, five, eight years uh, younger than him. But I think how he has insisted, insist, he's been insisting his relevance and his athletic level every single bike race he's been in. And that's very hard in this generation. Imagine how Felice Gimondi, you know, when we were in Bergamo, we talked about him. Imagine how he's felt in the years when he raced against uh, Eddie Merckx. You know, he, he won the best bike riders in the world. He just happened to share his calendar with a monster. And I think Roglic has gone, gone by his career in a very dignified and a very gracious way and that's why I think the the feeling that everyone but Tim Ineos and Garen Thomas obviously and and full like I tip my head for that obviously the hard work to done th- there is a sense of relief also for Ger- for uh, for Roglic having done this now Brian just a word on the spectacle as well because everyone who was up there whether it was Renard Schotter our friend from Sporta or other journalists who have done many many grand tours they were bowled away by the spectacle up there just the natural beauty of the site and also the the good fortune the serendipity of having a Slovenian in contention to win the Giro d'Italia and us being so close to Slovenia in this fantastic generation of Slovenian riders as well in the midst of that and um, Maravegni, so moments after Primoz Roglic's chain dropped on, as you said, in it looked like it was the fault of one of these rivets in the concrete paving. Maravegni sort of, he was kind of shrugging at people, frowning at people in the, with the sort of demeanour of a man whose bathroom had just leaked and flooded his downstore neighbour and, no, and, and, well, and had no intention of contacting his insurance broker or paying up in any way. <laughs> and then two minutes later, or five minutes later, when Primoz Roglic had narrowly won the Giro d'Italia and it, it, it seemed to not matter, um, he had the demeanour, the countenance of a man whose bathroom was leaking, I don't know, go- liquid gold <laughs> yeah. um, onto the floor of his downstore of his downstairs neighbour and he was sort of congratulating himself um, for a job very well done and a fantastic day for the Giro d'Italia yeah and I understand that but that was more luck than it was reason wasn't it but the Giro narrowly comes out on top because when you think of the story of the Giro you obviously can't take away all the other elements you know the the Covid uh, influence the the shortened stage, the horrible weather, you know, the critique of the long stages. Tau Gegenhardt crashed out. Remco Evenepoel. This this Giro was basically I wouldn't say it was designed, but let's, to put it diplomatically, it was made. They made it very attractive for Remco Evenepoel to come here. But there's a book ending to this with Roglic winning on a on a climb that's. I mean, you can throw a stone here, and if you're good at it, and it'll end in Slovenia. So there's 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 a part of that that's a. It's it's a it's a labyrinth that somehow ends with with a it has a happy ending and and a, and a sense of redemption that is shared I think between Roglic and the Giro and I, I think Roglic will remember this Giro longer than the Giro will but still it gave us a, a drama and the, and the, and the condensed feeling has somehow lifted itself at least that's how I feel about it. Yes, Brian, it was a. Uh 
the grandest of finales or penultimate stages and there were a lot of people today who had a gentleman in their thoughts who was very much responsible for bringing the Giro here, a gentleman called Enzo Cainero, a local politician who really credited with inventing the Monte Zoncolan, other climbs that have featured in Friuli in the last few years and he died um, sadly in January this year. His family were up on the summit today, his son was certainly there and there were a lot of, well there were signs that was writing on the road. dedications for him as well. Um, Brian, we're not going to talk too much about other movers and shakers on the general classification this evening. Um, We'll save that for tomorrow in our roundup of the whole three weeks, shall we? Yeah, there's still, I mean, there's still the the finishing stage and I I was actually pretty happy to hear that Roglic but he, did, he said he was not going to go out and like drink his face off. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people to do that vicariously uh, for him. But there is still the, the last stage and everyone needs to you know, cross the line in Rome before this year is over. And uh, as much of a cliche it is, it's, it's true for that exact reason. I'm trying to balance this up and find some Welsh supporters, but there are none. You're the closest I've got. I saw, t- I saw two Union Jacks. We're standing next to Laura, um, Primoz Roglic's partner and his son as well. So presumably you'll be keeping quite a low profile when Garrett Thomas comes to pass and if he wins. Yeah, we will be, I think. It'll be a bit embarrassing. It would be really good if he came up on Roglic's wheel, but I think that might be a bit optimistic. And where are you guys from? You're not from Wales, unfortunately. In spite of my invocation to, <laughs> to put on a Welsh accent for the purposes of this podcast. No, I, we're British. Um, I live in Brussels. My brother and his family live in Vienna. My sister-in-law is Russian, so we're covering quite a lot of countries. And what made you come up here today? It was really last minute. It was listening to your cycling podcast introductory episode and I just WhatsApped my brother. Oh, I'm just looking at trains and thinking, could I cycle it? Could I take the train? And uh, 24 hours later, he'd booked the camper van and I'd put my bike on the train and we're off. Oh, Brian, that was just to reassure everyone that there weren't just Slovenians on the Monte Lusari. Garant Thomas also had some support. They may not have been Welsh fans. Um, Claire from Bruss- from Leeds via Brussels there um, telling me that she and her brother were very much supporting Garant Thomas. Um, commiserations to them. But Brian, there was plenty to celebrate for other riders um, as I said we'll talk more about some of the not bit part characters but the sort of secondary stars of this Giro d'Italia tomorrow the likes of Thibaut Pino who um, managed to infiltrate the top five of course a couple of the stars of our Giro d'Italia Brian have been um, well they've been from the other side of the Atlantic to where we are now um, let's go to them, shall we? Let's hear what they had to say on the top of Monte Lusari, starting with none other than the Motown maestro, Larry Warbass. Larenzando, a postcard from Italy, with Larry Warbass. Larry, I saw you coming over the line. Well, surely after came coming over the line, you're making a the sort of telephone hand signal. Was that were you asking for Mara Venue's phone number? Do you want a word after that ordeal that he put you through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, it was uh, it was just to call uh, the team to tell <coughs> them to find an easier gear for uh, Aurelian uh, because uh, yeah, I mean, okay, he's 15th, but you know he wants to do the best he can on this uh, time trial, and uh, yeah. Uh, we definitely didn't have uh, an easy enough gear for the climb, so... Um, what I mean, did you have? 
A 39-34, um, and I mean, I think Roglic was smart with like what he rode yesterday. Uh, he'll probably be riding the same today, so you got to be able to spin to go fast. Not that like, you know, after yesterday I was really totally dead. I gave everything, so I wasn't planning to do anything crazy today, but uh, so yeah, I just wanted them to call the team to say, uh, you better do something quick for, for Aurelian. <laughs> Generally, Larry, I mean, a lot has been said about this time trial. Patrick Lefebvre called it a fast this morning. I mean, there were some there were some funky elements to it, the bike change and so on, but having done it, do you think that mm, it, it's a good way to finish a Grand Tour? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of cool. You know, like, the fans were cool. It's a spectacle. I don't think it was a bad way. I mean, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it adds something different. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't, like, so dumb or anything, you know? Like, I mean, yeah, sure, I guess, like, if the leaders have some issues then everyone's going to be pissed but I mean you know I think part of cycling is like guys being able to optimize everything in all different conditions and like this is super unique and I'm sure with like the leaders uh, we're going to see a lot of different like things you know whether that's bikes or you know bike changes or you know it's like everything's going to be super calculated and I think that's also a cool part of our sport um, just you know trying these different kind of things and this is a time trial that sort of requires a different approach. Yesterday we talked about homework and Vela Viewer. What, what did your homework for this consist of? I mean, how much did you know about this this morning? I uh, like nothing. <laughs> I mean, I didn't look at it. I didn't do any homework. The homework, uh, I was I, pretty tired. I described you in the podcast. I said, Larry's a guy who does his homework. You know, he's a student of physiology. He's a student of courses. I feel cheated somehow, Larry. I am, I am. But like, uh, you know, after yesterday... No homework was going to save me today, so uh, today was more just about, uh, yeah, having a good time, giving a good effort, but not being too stressed about anything, so. Well, Larry, I'm going to have to send you off in the gondola, they're calling it, in a minute, but this uh, this completes our journey, and what a roller coaster ride it's been. Um, you've captured everyone's imagination on this Giro. Um, has it lived up to your hopes and dreams, or to what extent has it lived up to your hopes and dreams? I mean, it was a good race. I'm glad I got out there yesterday. I mean, I'm a little disappointed I didn't, you know, leave the Giro with any, like, big result. Um, I'm at least glad that I, yeah, had a good day out yesterday. But, uh, you know, next time I'd like to come in. <clears throat> I didn't exactly have the ideal preparation getting thrown into a bunch of different races before. Um, but, uh, you know, that's also part of the sport. So, yeah, I hope uh, the next Grand Tour I do, I, I'll have good preparation. So, the Vuelta, hopefully I'll have a good lead up. And, uh, yeah, maybe I can win a stage there. Well, Larry, uh, we'd like to thank you on behalf of all the listeners for your accessibility, your generosity, your humour every day, the smiles that you brought to the, the mix zone and to the podcast listeners. So thank you, Larry. Yeah, thanks everyone for following along. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Derek G, Derek G, Derek G, Derek G, speaking words of wisdom, Derek G. Derek, that, that photo yesterday after the finish line, it went around the world. Um, you didn't really want to talk, understandably, but put some words to that picture. What were you feeling yesterday? I think a massive range of emotions and uh, a lack of oxygen. So I was, uh, I was pretty wrecked, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been a massive, overwhelming couple of weeks and uh, I felt like the, you know, that was the end of it, so. It was, uh, yeah, there was a lot going through the head. 
And we'll just add a few words now to sum up the whole experience. Um, a, a few of the, well, the adjectives, the emotions you described. I mean, this race has changed my life. It's, uh, it's hard to put into words just, I mean, the amount of support I've received from fans everywhere and uh, it's been it's been really 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 special and and uh, yeah I'll, I'll remember I'll remember this race for the rest of my life that's for sure uh, coming into the race I just felt grateful to for the opportunity to, to race it because it's such a massive race and, and honestly that hasn't changed just just uh, getting to race the Giro was uh, an amazing experience and, and Obviously, to be able to be, to be up there and, and properly competing for the stages is just adds another uh, another layer to it to how how special it was. Every day was just uh, I, I didn't feel like I was on form. I felt exhausted, but uh, yeah, every day uh, uh, the legs kept showing up. And today they didn't. Had a race this big. If the opportunity's there, we had to take it. I mean, uh, we unfortunately lost our GC guy, so we were just on the attack every day and. Uh, the atmosphere was great because we were pulling it off. You know, we were making it to the line and we might not have gotten a win, but yeah, it was something really special. You know, it's sad that you can't stop. So where do you take it now? What do you do next? You know, you've lifted yourself to another level. Whoa, not a that's a good from, question. Know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to be a lot of reflecting after this. And then uh, I think obviously things, uh, I, I feel like a different rider now than when I started this year. So it's going to be a lot of... Uh, yeah, just thinking about it and see, seeing what happens in, uh, in future races. Well, Brian, fantastic entertainment provided by Derek G and Larry Warbass on this Giro d'Italia in their different ways. I'm sure Derek G would have liked to win a stage. Larry would also have liked to win a stage. But I think we can say both men exit this Giro d'Italia with their reputations very much enhanced. Yeah, definitely. They, I think they also both in their, in their own way have shown that you can actually... Uh, ride a memorable Giro without winning anything and especially as much as, uh, as I love sounds quite harsh but no I know what you mean yeah no and I mean it's, I mean this is professional sports it's not you don't get any you know pat on the shoulder just for being here certainly not from the people who pay your salary but there is there is more to it and it, but it's also I think by proxy or by by default because the Giro has lacked you know maybe there's a middle part of the song that hasn't been there there's been a lot of top there's been a lot of bottom and it has given it has opened the narrative for riders like i think especially jerry g to lift the the race to something like it was almost like he personally took it upon himself to make this race exciting and following him in his efforts to try and win a stage i think was was sort of a race in itself and uh, yeah, if, if if nothing else, then I think that was that's worth remembering. And I think for anyone who wants to sign him, they'll they'll be very much aware of his abilities. Sure, Israel wants to sign him to a 15-year contract after this Giro d'Italia. La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Brian, yesterday's yesterday's evening meal was a was a pretty good one. We had a very long drive from Trecimili Lavaredo, Misurina, to towards Sarvisio, and we stayed in, in Ampezzo. And before we got to Ampezzo, we stopped in a nice osteria with some Molisano food. 
and we were down in Molise right at the start of this Giro d'Italia on the second day I think we were in Vasto weren't we and we had some nice Molisano pasta I again defaulted on my vegetarianism um, because it's very difficult to be a vegetarian on the Grand Tour had some pasta with a sort of sausage sauce um, typical what was the pasta called? It's a typical Molisano pasta. It's a bit like orecchiette, but not quite. And Brian, we had a nice refosco wine, yep. typical for Friuli, didn't we? Yes. And actually on that, because we, now we really are in refosco territory, at the Sala Stampa today, um, I'm not sure how much of it you were able to save. Of, uh, there was a delightful refosco as well. And it, I mean, the, the funny thing about last night's dinner is also that, you know, with, if you always have when you travel the way that we do, you have sort of the... Do you drive all the way to the hotel or do you sort of cut the drive up and eat halfway? And if you eat halfway, you kind of have to improvise. But of all the countries I've ever traveled in, you can always, nine out of nine and a half out of ten times, find a good meal in Italy. They kind of bring themselves to cook bad pasta. And they have this very hospitable, a little tiny little corner of the, the Dolomites we found there. Brian, it's easy to find a good evening meal in Italy, but will the Peloton find good roads tomorrow in Rome and good crowds? I think they'll find good crowds, but as always, when the Grand Tour finishes in a capital, uh, it's there's a lot of people who probably don't even know, right? And Rome is, is a big. There's always a lot of people in Rome. This tourist season has started. There'll be there'll be crowds everywhere. There'll probably also be a lot of locals who weren't aware of the road closures. But it takes in a, it it takes in a, another side of, of Rome as well. If, if it actually it go it starts in the center of. of of Rome, but it also goes out to the coast of Ostia, and then similar to not when it was in Verona, but when the race finished in Milano, they'll do a circuit. So tomorrow they'll do a circuit of six laps in the in the central part of the Rome. A circuit, not a circus, which is what Patrick Lefebvre called this afternoon's time trial. As a, as a kid, I loved the circus. <laughs> I really did. I, now I I don't like the circus so much because I'm I'm a bit of an animal rights person myself. But if the Giro can allow itself to be a spectacle, right? Then what can? I mean, I'm sorry, Patrick, but once again, you're dead wrong. Brian, I think that's about it for this evening. Tomorrow, will we expect a sprint extravaganza like to Mark Cavendish? Mark Cavendish very much enjoyed his last mountain stage in Junior Italia. He was high-fiving people on the way up the last kilometre today. I've got a crisp in my throat and I'm about to choke. So, Brian, at this point, there's a symmetry to that as well because you almost choked at the start of the Giro. Now we know how it feels. But can I, can I just say while you're trying to stay alive, about tomorrow, yeah, I mean, if you've never been to Rome, you should, you should watch the stage just for that. I mean, Circo Massimo, Piazza Navona, close to Villa Borghese, close to Piazza, Piazza del Popolo. It is like Rome, if you see Rome from above and, and the helicopter were trying to find the beauties and the important sites, those would really be the places. So, yeah, for, for a lot of other reasons, I think that stage is a super bad idea because we're now in Friuli. But if Rome should ever host a stage, this is, this is what that 13-kilometer uh, lap should look like, and they do it six times tomorrow. Delight. Definitive consecration for Primoz Roglic today on Monte Lusari. Heartache, heartbreak for Geraint Thomas. We'll be back tomorrow from, not Rome, you'll find out where we are tomorrow. Exactly. Buona sera and thank you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burnett.